లవింగ్ సాయిరామ్ అండ్ గ్రీటింగ్స్ ఫ్రమ్ ప్రశాంతి నిలయం ఇన్ రీసెంట్ మంత్స్ ఐ డివోటెడ్ మై మ్యూజింగ్ టాక్స్ ఫర్ డూయింగ్ అన్ ఎంటైర్ సిరీస్ ఆన్ అ పర్టిక్యులర్ టాపిక్ రాదర్ దాన్ స్పీక్ ఆన్ ఐసోలేటెడ్ సబ్జెక్ట్స్ యాజ్ ఐ యూస్ టు డూ అలియర్ ఇఫ్ యూ రికాల్ ఐ డిడ్ అ సిరీస్ ఆన్ ద వేదాస్ విచ్ ఐ కాల్ ద వేదా వాక్ త్రూ after that i did another series on shirdi baba and this was the longest series i have done so far meanwhile we received many letters asking me to talk about this and that i feel the best way of dealing with all these multiple requests would be to do yet another series i propose to base this new series on the awareness course that we give to our students in fact some listeners wanted precisely this and that is one of the reasons why i decided to do this series for me this opportunity is particularly welcome because i have been quite closely connected with the awareness program at the postgraduate level for nearly a decade now starting with this talk i shall attempt to tell you something about what we try to convey to our students in the awareness class and why in the process i hope to cover a wide spectrum of spiritual topics including some naughty questions that keep on coming up on the whole i trust this new series would be quite useful to you dear listener and with that hope i start this series by first offering my humble pranams to swami who created the thirst in me to become aware in the first place let me start with the question what is awareness fortunately for us swami himself has raised and answered this very question he says that awareness means total understanding this now leads to a new question what exactly is the meaning of total understanding and the short answer to that is that total understanding means realizing that god is in everything everywhere all the time if you want to be more practical read that as swami is in everything everywhere all the time okay that is nice as a statement but how do we actually experience this eternal omnipresence of god and why do we have to do that in this and the next several talks this is the topic i shall try and explore in many different ways let me hasten to state that my talks will not end with just a discussion of omnipresence they in turn would lead on to other topics all of which would hopefully blend into a coherent series in the process i also hope that i would not only give you a broad overview of what we teach our students but also why we do so and why the same lessons are important for everyone everywhere with that preamble let me now get down to business i am sure you will all agree with me that for a human being action is inevitable the individual has to keep on performing actions many of them involuntary like breathing for example and many others being consciously decided upon by the individual concerned okay we agree that all of us have to act 
क्वेश्चन नाउ इज हाउ डू वी एक्ट आर देर ग्राउंड रूल्स दैट मस्ट बी ऑब्जर्व आर देर डूज एंड डोंट्स टू आंसर सच क्वेश्चन वी मस्ट फर्स्ट कंसिडर हाउ मैन रिलेट्स टू द एंटिटीज एंड द एनवायरमेंट इन विच इज एम्बेडेड This discussion is required because action always takes place in a particular setting and in a particular ambience. In our class, we discuss this question in many ways. One of them being via what we call the golden triangle. Imagine an equilateral triangle with God at the top vertex and man at the bottom left-hand vertex. On the right-hand vertex at the bottom, we place society and nature together. so we have this triangle which i call the golden triangle let us now see how man relates to god on the one hand and to society as well as nature on the other typically the individual functions in a disjointed manner that is to say when man thinks of god he is not bothered about society and when he deals with society god does not enter into the picture and when man relates to nature god and society are usually not considered relevant what i mean by this is the following let us say the man believes in god this man therefore worships god offers prayers etc etc basically he wants to please god so that god would grant him all kinds of favors and shower grace on him and his family usually that is where it all stops and the man in question is not concerned about the welfare of others Man seeking such favors from God is an age-old tradition and Lord Krishna has commented that among the various types of devotees he has the seeker of personal favors is a prominent type fine now let's follow this man who regularly worships God etc as he goes out into the world for doing business plying his trade or whatever this is where problems start The moment the man becomes immersed in worldly affairs he usually forgets god and with it a lot of many important things especially the need to follow satya and dharma thus it is that we find humans engaging in all kinds of questionable practices and abandoning values a businessman may indulge in shady deals justifying it all as not only a necessity but also perfectly valid and just in the business world remember the old saying all is fair in love and war that so called license is now extended to other domains of life as well in a similar manner we find politicians being corrupt justifying it in their own particular ways likewise many doctors become more concerned about their fees rather than about caring for patients and so on it goes these days such deviationist behavior is so common that i really do not have to spell them all out in piteous detail in a nutshell there is in the behavior of most people a serious disconnect between the actions they perform and their intrinsic divine nature that swami keeps on reminding us all the time about in other words there is a fracture of the golden triangle man forgets god not only in dealing with his fellow human beings but also in dealing with nature thus it is that we see wide scale destruction and ravaging of the environment and the ecosystem 
if individuals pollute in an innumerable number of ways so do the big corporations only the scale on which they pollute is often massive i will not right now discuss how and why man causes such extensive damage to the environment maybe that can be taken up later for the moment i just want to drive home this point when man forgets that god is omnipresent meaning that god is not only resident in every human being as the indweller but also in society and every entity in creation both gross and subtle then man can develop a split personality he may believe in god worship god and pray to god on a one to one basis but when it comes to dealing with others community society and nature etc man can act in total violation of the human values latent in him to put it differently man refuses to see god in society and in nature what i have just described is not at all uncommon from then to now there have been people in history big and famous as well as unknown individuals who believed in god and then went about doing all the wrong things sometimes even in the name of god the point is far from trivial since misguided individuals trigger huge waves of immorality and even extreme violence so what it all boils down to is that when we act we ought to be keenly conscious of the ambience in which we function we must of course first of all realize that we are all children of god the same god by the way no matter to which religion we belong next we must realize that we live on a planet called the earth which is part of nature all humans live on the same planet but no one owns the planet this is something we often forget in fact god is the owner of planet earth and he has most kindly allowed us to live on it free of charge do we ever pay rent to god think about it and while allowing us to live god has also most compassionately provided many services to go along with the free accommodation such as air to breathe water to drink and sunlight to enable us to see notice incidentally that god does not keep the sun on for 24 hours in any one place because we also have to sleep and we sleep best when it is dark you might contest my statement by saying that in the north and south poles the sun is not seen for many months at a time during certain parts of the year that is indeed true but then how many people live on the antarctica anyway so you have to consider that god has been very kind and considerate to us in numerous ways and we just cannot afford to forget his presence in society on the one hand and in nature on the other at this point the question would certainly arise what is the meaning of the statement that god is in society how exactly is one supposed to see this god hiding in society and finally how exactly is one supposed to relate to god immanent in society in a sense this series would all be about finding answers to these various questions while we shall explore the nuances as we go along for a moment i perhaps should say the following let us start by agreeing that god is latent in each and every one of us without exception i know that some of you are shaking your heads and asking how can that be true how can one believe that god is present in a murder for example yes that's a good question and we shall certainly tackle that later i assure you 
Meanwhile, please go along with me and accept at least for the moment that God is present in all without exception. Okay, if you agree to that, then you also got to agree that God is present in society also. For what is society but a collection of individuals? So, we come to this important conclusion, namely, that the individual and the society are like two sides of the same coin. If the individual is the microcosm, then society is the macrocosm. I would like to pause for a moment to stress two important things. The first is that I am not making up a story saying society is God. It is in fact Swami who has declared that to be so, adding that this concept goes back to Vedic times. In this context, he often chants a Vedic hymn that begins with the words, Sasrasi Rusha Purushaha. Explaining the meaning of these terms, Swami says that when the Vedas proclaim that God has a thousand eyes, two thousand feet and so on, it does not mean that God is a grotesque figure with such strange physical features. It simply means that society is a macro-manifestation of the individual and that God is immanent in society the same way He is immanent also in the individual. It is for that reason one must serve society, for when we serve society with selfless love, we are in fact serving the Lord Himself. Hence popular sayings like, hands that serve are holier than lips that pray, service to man is service to God, etc., etc., There is also another point that needs to be kept in mind in connection with the relationship between the individual and society. Everyone wants to live in a good society. That is to say, a society that provides all kinds of securities like life security, food security, job security, etc., etc. The dream for an ideal society is nothing new. In India, the concept of an ideal society goes back at least as far as the Ramayana, where the ideal society was called Ramrajya, where there was peace, no injustice, absolute fair play, rule of dharma. Note I am saying rule of dharma, not rule of law. This is an important point to which I hope to return later. In the West too, there has always been a dream of an ideal society and the name given to it was Utopia. The general belief is that utopia is an unattainable ideal. Swami says this is not true. If individuals living in a society lead disciplined and dharmic lives, society, which is nothing but the individual magnified to macro levels, would also be dharmic. Peace and tranquility may today seem like dreams, but barely a hundred years ago, they were not so scarce as at present. I remember my brother recalling an interesting incident in his life around the early 70s of the 20th century. He had just spent six years working for a PhD degree in Chicago and after earning that, he got a postdoctoral fellowship to work in the IBM laboratory near Zurich in Switzerland. So, off he flew from Chicago to Zurich with a PhD degree in his pocket and after landing there, found a small room to stay in. This room was rented to him by a nice old Swiss lady and everything was absolutely wonderful and a marvelous change for my brother, so accustomed till then to the rather difficult conditions in the south side of Chicago where the university is located. 
After depositing his luggage, having a wash and so forth, my brother went out to find some place to eat. He was successful in his quest, had a meal, after which he walked around for a while admiring the beautiful scenery so different from what he was used to in Chicago. Altogether, it was a very pleasant start of life in Zurich. And he returned to his room absolutely delighted with his new surroundings. But when he entered, he got a big shock because his landlady was yelling at him. My brother was completely taken aback. He had spent hardly an hour in his room before going out and he just could not see any reason for the landlady to get so mad at him. And even as he was groping for an answer, the landlady in the midst of her outburst told him why she was hopping mad. She asked in a fury, What the devil do you mean by locking your room before going out? Do you think I am a thief? you think I am going to steal your lousy belongings? And so on. My brother understood and was relieved. With a smile he replied, Ma'am, I am really sorry but you must understand that I have come here straight from Chicago south side where I spent six years as a graduate student. The south side is where the university is located. It's a notorious place with a criminal atmosphere. Hold-ups and break-ins take place all the time and one cannot be too careful. You know, whenever I went out, I made sure I had only two dollars in my pocket. If anybody tried to hold me up by pointing a gun or knife at me, a pretty common thing by the way, I would smile and give the person doing the stick-up the two dollars that I had, saying, Listen, buddy, I am a poor student from India. This is all I have. I am sorry I do not have more. India is not a rich country, you know. You see, ma'am, I have lived all along in such an insecure environment and I did not know that things are different here. The lady said, Mister, this is Switzerland and not Chicago. Over here we trust each other and you had better get adjusted to this style. The sooner you forget about Chicago, the better. All this happened around 1971 or so. But today I am told things have changed in Switzerland also. And people there also have become acutely security conscious. What I am trying to drive at is, issues like security, peace, tranquility, etc. relate in a very strong way to the manner in which the individual relates to the society as a whole. If there were micro-discipline, then there would automatically be a strong semblance of macro-discipline also. However, if the individual does not care about society, then there can be macro-consequences as well. For example, if everyone throws trash out into the streets, then there could be all kinds of health hazards in that society as a whole. Let us remember that it is not merely individuals but also individual companies that can, pursuing their own profits and self-interest, cause any number of problems to society. For instance, portraying too much violence in the cinema and TV may earn profits for the producers, but it also helps to promote the growth of violence in society. In other words, it is only if individuals unfailingly follow dharma that security of various kinds that I listed earlier will prevail in society. It's all very simple really. When individuals follow discipline, discipline also prevails in society because society is nothing but the macro of the micro. I mean, can we have a healthy body if most of the cells are cancerous? 
One cannot say let the body be healthy, then the cells would be automatically normal. This kind of argument does not work. Whether we like it or not, the game really starts with the individual and hence the need for each individual to have the right perspective with respect to both society and nature. There is also a strong connection between the action of individuals and the ecosystem. The poor countries, the impact occurs in one way, while in the rich countries it happens in a different way. For instance, in poor countries, farmers may overgraze and cause havoc to the land. Such desertification can and will affect the weather both locally and globally. Similarly, excessive burning of fossil fuels in rich countries is now threatening to cause warming of the weather globally. What I am driving at is the following. Thanks to technology on the one hand and enormous growth of population on the other, individuals, companies, industries, etc. can cause large-scale impact to both society and the ecosystem. Such impact starts with undesirable thoughts that arise in the mind. And that happens when the individuals break the golden triangle. That is to say, there is a disconnect between the way the individual relates to God on the one hand and the manner in which individuals relate to society as well as nature on the other. This is where Swami's teachings come into the picture. Speaking during the fifth convocation of his university, Swami said, that higher learning does not mean advanced courses in physics, computer science, etc. Yes, Swami's Institute does offer advanced degrees in various subjects, but that is not the true meaning of higher learning. Higher learning, said Swami, is not meant to make the students into a recluse, make the students into sannyasis, and help them to withdraw to the Himalayas. On the other hand, Higher learning is meant to help the students to be very much in this world and lead normal lives, but with a different perspective. What is that perspective? That, says Swami, means seeing God in society and also nature. Let me explain. Let's say there is a doctor. Usually a doctor is concerned with helping sick people to get back to normal health. But doctors also have to live. And so they charge fees, which is okay, as long as the fees are reasonable. However, some doctors are more bothered about fees rather than their primary duty. And these days, many hospitals in India want to make sure you are paid in full the anticipated charges before they would even look at the patient. Some of you might remember a Sunday special entitled Inhospitable Hospitals that came to you with our Sai-inspired service. That Sunday special gave you a glimpse of how many hospitals in Bombay function. What applies to Bombay hospitals applies to hospitals almost all over the country. Now you might argue, with some fairness too, that treatment does cost money. That is true and doctors do have to charge fees. However, that does not mean that the poor people have to be summarily thrown to the bulls. Every consulting physician, for example, could search apart one day in the week when he sees poor patients who cannot afford consultation charges. To the extent possible, he could also give medicines based on the free samples he always gets from pharma companies. There are many variations of this theme. 
for example in swami's general hospital in bangalore most of the doctors who do opd work are city doctors who work once a week in swami's hospital on an honorary basis different doctors come on different days and this way the doctors give something back to society it is not doctors alone who can help a lawyer for example can also help by taking on a few clients who are poor and need legal help a upper middle class man can pay for the education of the son of the maid servant who works in his house money is not always required to do service what is required is the spirit and the firm determination and by the way people who do such service to society often do so because of a call from within let me give you two examples both of which i read about in our magazines the first concerns an auto rickshaw driver in bangalore let us start with this young man when he was about 25 or so he was quite a rough chap often given to violence and also petty crimes at times his behavior was so bad that his parents often wished that he was never born one fine day something happened to this man whose name i think was raju he saw a lot of suffering and injustice and became very angry that so many people were getting such a raw deal angry though he was he realized that he could not set things right all by himself he then decided that he could at least try and alleviate the suffering of a few thereafter he began picking up people lying in the street and on the verge of death he would bring these destitute people home clean them up give them food and care for them he did all this with his earnings which was not much his parents were stunned by this amazing change in his attitude but soon they found he was bothering them in a different way by bringing all kinds of sick people home but raju was determined to help and when these people died he gave them a decent funeral it was not always that he brought home only old people soon the people whom he rescued ranged from small children to young women who had been abused and so on later he managed to get some space where all these people could stay slowly the word spread and raju's efforts came to the notice of some ngos who pitched in and the activity snowballed slowly My next example is that of a young man at that time 18. This man named Sridhar if I can recall correctly his name belonged to a middle class family in Madras. He was afflicted with polio in his childhood and that shattered his early life. No school, no play, no joy. And being handicapped people also began to ignore him. and some did not even hide their dislike for this poor boy because they saw him as a burden but sridhar had spirit in him he spent a lot of time listening to the bbc and that made him pick up english though he did not attend school bbc came to know of this and gifted sridhar with a good shortwave radio i believe he also picked up german simply by listening to the radio one fine day sridhar decided that he would help others and started teaching the son of the maid servant who worked in his house word spread and soon other servants working in other houses on the street where sridhar lived began to send their kids to sridhar pleased with all this some relatives gave him a wheelchair which increased his mobility 
great spirit is often infective and soon other boys in the neighborhood were so inspired by what sridhar was doing they started saying look if this boy who is handicapped can do so much we ought to do more and so they joined sridhar and formed a club that made service its goal there are many such wonderful stories but unfortunately they do not make it to today's newspapers which are mainly concerned with celebrities sleaze scandals and violence what these two stories teach us is that it's not money but the spirit of man that drives people to make the divine light shine from within one need not complain about one situation instead one can look out and find how to help that is what swami says see the other person as no different from yourself and then you will feel that person's pain as your own when that happens you will not wait you will just plunge into service loving and caring service one thing that emerges from all that i have been saying is that the individual simply cannot conveniently isolate himself or herself from society as if nothing is owed that is simply not true as i often tell my students think of an unfortunate country like chad in africa this country is desperately poor has no infrastructure no service etc there are many countries in that same bracket they are called failed states now imagine a young person in a badly failed state such a person would have no chance of a decent education and even if he did somehow managed to get educated say somewhere or the other he would have a hard time getting a decent job i recall a senior official of microsoft once saying we recognize how much we owe to society without society and the educational establishments it supports we would not have the engineers we hire without society we would not have electric supply road airport waterworks hotels etc on all of which we depend so much for our work last but not the least without society and its business facilities there would be no market for our products in today's world the individual and society are tightly coupled and one cannot separate one from the other we have received many mails asking us to address some of our commentaries to young adults actually most of what we recommend applies equally well to all from the age of 7 to 17 to 70 plus Nevertheless since a special request has been made I would now like to offer the following remarks especially to young people These are days when many people young ones in particular strongly believe that nothing must impede their freedom This attitude has produced many unfortunate consequences of which I would like to comment on just one the neglect of elderly parents especially when they cannot take care of themselves Once upon a time it was a norm for the sons to take care of their father and mother in their old age but since world war 2 that has changed not only in the west but also in the developing world including india and china in the affluent countries of the west those who can afford retire to senior citizens colonies where all the old people hang out together so to say the children are thus freed from the responsibility of attending to and physically caring taking care of their elderly parents when they are sick and helpless instead their duty is now reduced to visiting their parents once in a while 
If the parents become terminally ill, they are moved to a hospice. But what about countries like India and China? It's a very different ball game, especially where the middle class is concerned. It is very common for a young man after he gets married to find himself in a nutcracker grip. Duty pulls him one way, while his wife who wants none of the chores of looking after the oldies pulls him the other way. Thus, millions of old people are abandoned and the situation is miserable. In China, till recently, the state took care of the old, but now with the country having opted for a capitalist style of economy, the state has declared that the job of looking after old people must be done by their sons and daughters. That, of course, is definitely not happening, and as a result, there are massive social problems in that society. In fact, some of you who were present when the Chinese New Year Day was celebrated a few times here in Prashanti, you would recall the theme of the place stage then was how the old tradition of caring for old parents was being jettisoned in the name of progress. In some countries like China, where birth rate is declining and the population is aging rapidly, once again there are pressing problems associated with the old. Now I am aware that many young people would argue, listen, we realize there are problems, but you must realize that times have changed and things cannot be the same as before. These days, both the husband and wife have to go to work, and so on. I understand all that. But I would just ask you young people to ask yourselves this question. And how would I feel when I am driven out of home when I am old, discarded like a old worn out shoe or something like that? Ask that question and try to answer it honestly. You see, lifestyle might have changed, but one thing has not changed and cannot change. The expectant mother still has to carry the baby for about nine months and the labor pain remains the same. After birth, the mother has to feed the baby at regular intervals, clean it up when needed, change diapers as required, etc. And by the way, almost all children learn the language they speak from their mothers. This applied then and applies today also, from tribal communities in the depth of Africa to educated communities in advanced countries. That is why the first language of every person is called the mother tongue. Microprocessors and spaceships have not changed the basics of motherhood in its essentials. That being the case, every child owes a lot to its mother. Can any argument wipe out this debt? Think about it. This leads us on to an important issue, which is primary, rights or responsibility. Those who are passionate about their personal freedom would vehemently argue in favor of rights. As against this, there is the traditional wisdom that stresses duty and responsibility over rights. What are Swami's views on this? Well, they are very clear. Swami puts responsibility over rights, and correctly so. In the Gita, Swami told Arjuna, the only right you have is to do your duty. Do that properly, with love, as an offering to God. He will then take good care of you and your needs. I guess it's about time I started winding up. So let me highlight the major points I made in this talk, which is essentially a radio adaptation of what we teach our students in our awareness class. The points I've tried to make in this talk are as follows. One, 
Awareness means realizing every minute that God is present everywhere in everything all the time. 2. This realization is needed so that we act properly in relation to each other, to society and to nature. God is present in others, in society and in nature and is watching us all the time. So we have to make sure we do not do anything that goes against God. 3. This teaching is well known of course. However, people do not behave as if they know this teaching. To explain why this happens, I introduce the concept of the golden triangle that links man to God on the one hand and to society as well as nature on the other. Four, I then explain how, as a result of convenient factorization, man breaks up this triangle to worship God while at the same time going against him when he deals with society. If one cheats society, it's a betrayal of God and no amount of personal worship would wipe out that treachery. Five, as Swami says, we are what we are because of society. Thus, we must start not by demanding our rights, but by recognizing our responsibilities. Six, in particular, young people have to appreciate the sacrifices made by their parents and take good care of them in their old age. instead of discarding them as objects that have served their purpose if this one lesson is absorbed well by the youth of today then millions and millions of parents would be saved from their present state of abandonment i know there would be many questions and i even know many of the questions that would be asked because our students have already asked them earlier so don't worry i shall deal with some of them later but meanwhile if you have some of your own questions that is please do not hesitate to write as always i can be reached via email at listener at radiosai.org radiosai by the way is one word i hope this opening talk in the present series was not too far of the mark what do you think why don't you just let me know god bless and sairam